Welcome back to the Gate 15 Risk Roundtable. It's June 2021 and the cicada invasion is underway, which Dave, I'm sure, will be covering some of your comments here in a little bit. As summer settles in, it is great to be here once again with the ever overworked and much appreciated Jennifer Lynn Walker. <laughs> and as he has asked me to refer to him, Florida's preeminent dungeon master, David Pounder. Jen, Dave, welcome back to this roundtable. Vote is the best security-focused podcast of 2021 by 75% of those currently living in my house. Welcome back. How are you? <laughs> Fine. Very well. Thank you. You're definitely tired and, um, and yeah, I won't say overworked, but yeah. Well, it's, it's the first day of the first full week of the month. So tired is about where you should be at this point, I think. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as the preeminent uh, dungeon master or whatever you called me there, Andy, um, I will have to say is I miss the cicada sound, but only so much that I hear it on news reports and I can just recognize that that's what it was. What, like, do you, rem like, I remember as like, I was in like fifth or sixth grade when the cicadas came out, you know, as far as I can remember, uh, the swarms or whatever they're called. Yeah. I, I remember love trying to find them and like, where were the, where they are? I mean, they were everywhere. And like, what are you trying to take with them? And it's kind of fun. Do you have them in Florida right now? No, nothing. I, I, at least oh. I don't, I don't see them at all. So they, they are in mass here in Virginia. And my, my street that we live on has been cicada free. Oh. slowly they're closing in and surrounding us. And this morning, my son and I went to work out and I opened the garage door and there was one just staring at me as though it was saying, hey, we're coming. And they're, <laughs> they're, they're closing in. So it, it's, it's like when we were back in grade school, it's the same like level of, of, of volume. I mean, they're, they're everywhere and they are insanely loud. Now, how what's the length of it? How long does it go for? I think it, I think when I saw it was like 10 inches, it was probably closer to an inch and a half, but, but it, it seemed... <laughs> like it was a foot long locust invasion. I don't mean the size. How long does the actual cicada? Oh, how long is oh. this infestation? <laughs> how long is the plague upon us? I don't, cicada plague. I don't know. I don't know. It's Until we sacrifice a couple of cows or something, I'm not sure. They're going to be here for a while. I think it's biblical it's proportion. Cool. Yeah, it is. How is it up there in your neck of the woods, Jen? Um, I have not heard any cicadas yet, so. Let's... What is going on here? All right, we well, locate gate fifteen, Andy. That's that's what it sounds like. Yeah, you guys come come down to Virginia and enjoy the the lovely cicada invasion. But we're we're way off topic and already almost two minutes into our podcast. So let's jump into things here with upcoming podcast. What do you guys got on deck? Um, I have on deck the final for this round of the ISAC series and no one uh, the cybersecurity evangelist. <laughs> I promise it, at least for a couple months. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I'm uh, speaking with a couple of the steering committee members from the tribal ISAC. So one of the new ISACs that we are supporting and especially yours truly, <laughs> namely. Um, and instead of having a director or a staff member, an analyst, um, I actually, spoke to members from the member side, but they are also steering committee members. So they still drive the, you know, the, the focus of the organization, but they're still on the member side. So it was really, it was a fantastic discussion. There are two of them and um, really looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to that. We, we've been talking about the idea of tribal ISAC for many years. It's been great to see it finally come together with great leadership and, and great steering committee, great member community, and to hear what's going. So even though this is like your 36 consecutive TCE <laughs> with the ISAC community. This is going to be a really good one. So I'm excited about that. So that's awesome. That's awesome. And Dave, what do you have on deck? 
I, I, it's hard to tell, Andy. I, I like it. I really <laughs> depend on like current events and what's going on. No, I, I, I mean, in in some respects, we, we'll probably look at that the next week or so. But I know we're going to talk a little bit about it now as this FBI report, some of the hostile events that have come out, just a little bit more about um, some of the details on, on some of those. I'm sure that will be one of the main topics. I also saw some interesting drone stuff. So I might have to have bring Travis back onto the panel and see what Travis may have to say about some drone stuff. But our uh, panel is fluctuating and uh, we kind of continue to, to move around with the topic. So um, I'll, I'll to be determined. I'm excited about that. And if I, I mean, just, just offering the locust invasion might be something you guys want to take in a little bit of a, a panel style discussion, maybe just throwing that out there. Obviously, <laughs> respecting whatever you want to do. I'm really excited to, to not allow Jen to be the only one talking to the ISAC community this month. I will be following suit this month with, I will just say that the gifting interview will be going boldly where it has never done before. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I got, I got to give a thanks to Brian Ware, who was my guest last month. He's just a super smart guy. Fantastic perspective. His, his insights, I think, on China and the value of sitting down and having a drink with somebody were both equally awesome. So really appreciate Brian taking time out to join us last month and really looking forward to this month. So some great podcasts coming up. Awesome. But here we are now with an important discussion to have. There's so much happening, a lot in the news. I would say more than a fair amount of, of FUD fear, uncertainty, and doubt just because of the massive amount of media being paid attention to, not a new topic, but an exciting new topic for mainstream conversation. There's a lot to cover. I just want to uh, do like we do in summer here. We're just going to dive into the dangerous waters and get started. So Dave, you want to start us off? So, I mean, we kind of just teased it here was just this recent FBI report that came out. It's a you know 20-year analysis of active shooter situations. And so I found it extremely interesting because it went, you know, over the years, I think it was started in 2013, they started analysis of um, the active shooter and behaviors and indicators of those um, activities. Um, and they would do it every year. Sometimes they'd skip a year and do it every two years, but they're extremely valuable resources for what I really find is, is those indicators and behaviors that individuals give off. What are some of the motivators behind um, active shooter incidents? And, and the theory, and, and I think it's well-founded, is, is by understanding these behaviors, by understanding these uh, suspicious indicators, we can try to disrupt that, um, that process and, and interdict ourselves and, and hopefully reduce the risk to an organization or reduce the risk to those within the organization. Uh, by increasing awareness, you know, I think we've seen a lot over the over the years um, of employees who have a grievance against an organization and, and carry out an attack. In fact, the San Jose incident uh, two or three weeks ago was exactly that. This guy had a grievance for over 10 years about people he worked with. Um, and he finally, there was a trigger and I, I, it could have been this disciplinary committee that was being uh, convened uh, because of some of his behaviors recently. That could have been a trigger to finally push him over the edge. But we also saw it in something like the Capitol Gazette uh, shooting uh, back in, I think it was 2017. It a couple of years back, it, it, you know, where an individual was upset about a story that was written about him in, in the Gazette. 
and he went in and unfortunately killed five people at the uh, newspaper there. So we see these grievances and these stressors bear out in active shooter incidents. And so to get a report like this from the FBI, which now look back 20 years worth of data and to see over 300, and I think it was 333 was the exact number. Um, it, it's, it's really insightful. And, and I think organizations should you know, dig deep into those and, and read about them because then you can start making some, you know, get an idea of where some of these locations are occurring and, and you quickly realize that every place is a potential target. So uh, just based on a variety of situations. So that that's something I'm really interested in this week um, as we look forward. I'll tell you, David, it is a great report. I mean, I think this is one of the FBI's, to me, most valuable products. I think the um, the group that puts this together and, and some of the other organizations here in the FBI have just done some fantastic work in this space, looking at the pathway to violence, looking at the indicators. And one of the things I really appreciate about the report is the term active shooter gets thrown out all the time, right? And while you know, I've got to say, regardless of what you think about guns or gun control or whatever, we shoot a lot of people in this country like on a daily basis. I mean, it, you know, doing what we do, collecting information like we do every morning, I'm just dumbfounded by the number of incidents that occur, but they're not all what the FBI considers an active shooter event. And this, this report really smartly explains what an active shooter is, what active shooter incidents are, and provides that context and better understanding of really what we're talking about. We use that term to allow us to understand how to look for those signs indicators and how to potentially interdict and cause disruption. So it really is a great report. I'm glad you brought it up. And we'll include that in the show notes along with some other ones. But if I could, just to use, use your sharing there, I think it's Dave's been hard to work on something that's really exciting. It's going to be coming out here soon. And you've been looking at the active shooter report, other reports, and you've got a white paper coming out here on the hostile events attack cycle. It sort of builds on some of this FBI reporting. You want to just say a quick word about what that is, Dave? Yeah. So you hit on the one element there. Active shooter is just one type of a hostile event, as we'll call them, that that organizations or or that we can encounter and it can include arson it can include workplace violence it can include any number of activities that um we really feel that the warning signs and the these these threat actors who take part in this hostile event go through a process they go through a whether it's you know deliberately planned out and written or if it's done it, you know as they go along, there is a process of which they identify a target, they you know, surveil and do research on that target, they take the planning into consideration, they do rehearsal type of activities, and then they carry out the attack and then de determine what's gonna be the next steps. This process, we call it the hostile event attack cycle, you know, it, it, it's bore out over time. And in this white paper you're referring to is hopefully we'll have it out here in the coming month or so. But we, we really analyze up about 20 cases, building off some of the re other reports that, like you mentioned, the FBI has put out, but also DHS and some other um, private sector reporting. We, we've looked at that and built the cycle that says, you know, th this is what they're going for. And here are the, some of the indicators and in vulnerable times that if we have alert and aware employees or individuals, we can identify this, report it appropriately, and then hopefully interdict or disrupt it. Also, it bears out because there are going to be times when, when th this behaviors of these indicators may not be present because they may be a loner or they may be, you know, isolated or whatnot. But 
recognizing this type of cycle, it also can give organizations tips to say, hey, let's change up our security every so often. Let's throw different variables at threats who may be surveilling us without us noticing it. Because if you're if you're a threat and you're doing surveillance, you're hoping nobody notices you because you don't want to give it away, right? So we, you know, we hope that the tips that we put in here and some of the mitigation strategies that we put in here um, will in this white paper will really be arm these organizations with the right ways to be proactive in their security planning to disrupt and potentially have processes in place that can identify. Uh, potential incidents before they occur and then take appropriate action. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So if you're listening, you can look that white paper to come out. It'll be publicly released either later this month or early in July. If you want to listen to some of the background conversation on that, Dave's written extensively on this, both on our blog, also at Homeland Security Today. You can see a number of the posts there looking at real-world incidents and applying the attack cycle to that. Uh, really great stuff. And if you're interested, we'll do a quick Day 15 promo. We just ran a great workshop in Pennsylvania last week. And if you go to the services page on our website, you can also see some of the things that we do around the hospital events preparedness series to help you understand and be prepared for uh, such threats and incidents. But Dave, the white paper is amazing. Really looking forward to getting out there and sharing that with folks. So thanks for all of your work. I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the days to come. Anything else you want to cover on the physical side before we pivot over to Jen and some really exciting stuff in, in her world? I think I've taken enough time, Andy. I'm going to defer my uh, time, the reigning allotment to uh, Jen here. <laughs> no, you're just trying to make room at the end so you don't you don't lose your little like closer. So that's all. We have important things to discuss there, Jen. <laughs> you know. So I, I don't appreciate the tone you're using right now. Again, <laughs> it's strategy. I'm, I'm being I'm trying to be strategic in my uh, time sharing. Well, I already noticed he had said short, and that was anything <laughs> but. So just saying. But I am looking forward to the white paper. By day standards, but True. nonetheless, nonetheless, Jen, we True. we talked about active shooter threats, probably one of the most persistent issues in the world of physical security, right? Hostile events, active shooter, and we're going to come over now, I think, and talk about something that's been maybe equally talked about for a number of years in your world, but has taken a whole nother level of attention over the last couple of weeks. So have at it. Whole number level. Well, I just want to say I'm looking forward to Dave's uh, to the white paper on the hostile events attack cycle. I've been fortunate enough on a few occasions to either be part of a, a webinar on it or read certain parts of the cycle um, and be part of blog posts and whatnot. And so it's really fascinating for me uh, since physical isn't really my world, but it's it's really neat. There are some similarities when you're looking at different types of threat actors and analyzing and assessing their behaviors and stuff and indicators and that kind of stuff. So so it's really neat from that perspective, but to think of it in the physical world. So, and what to look around for, but anyway, I digress. Um, yeah. So for me, um, three things actually, uh, ransomware, ransomware, and dang, what's that third one? Oh, ransomware. Oh, right. Nice. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, but you kind of alluded to it in the beginning, beginning, you made some comment about how certain things have gone mainstream and you kind of stole my, my phrasing there. Um, yeah, we've had some some interesting, um, a lot of ransomware in the last couple of months. Um, ransomware, so probably most notable to the listeners is at this point is the Colonial Pipeline um, incident. And I kind of think that Colonial Pipeline did for critical infrastructure and then maybe even um, ransomware in general, what uh, Target did back in 2013 with kind of cyber threats in general. It started to hit mainstream more like, oh, okay, brought it up to more of that 
public consciousness. And now all of these, you know, and then you get a high profile event every now and again, and it would make mainstream. Well, now we've got these, the series of high profile events that have elevated it to mainstream every day. As a matter of fact, uh, Colonial Pipe on Friday, um, when they released how it occurred with the dormant um, com uh, compromised password from a dormant account, um, mainstream was the only thing I saw it on. You know, it was Friday. I think everybody kind of shut down. I just happened to be looking and it was like I was looking for my favorites, you know, to be talking about it and nobody had been talking about it yet. So um, it hit mainstream first and um, we're getting, you know, it, it's getting some good press and it's it's about time. Um, I did kind of follow, uh, so it's a, I'll include it again, show, no show notes and all of that, a company called Armis. Um, if you go back a couple months ago, um, again, I don't remember this one hitting mainstream, but Molson Coors, um, few of us kind of joked about it, like, hey, let's not mess with the beer, right? Um, but uh, they had an article uh, post titled Beer, Cheese, and then of course I hesitate and go beer cheese. Wait, what? Don't mess with the beer cheese. Uh, but beer cheese, fuel, and now meat. What's next? And uh, over the past uh, maybe day or so, we learned that there are some major news outlets, uh, some NBC affiliates, I believe. One of them, ironically, is about 45 seconds away from my current location. So, which I thought was like, oh, great. Another and pizza, Jen. They've gone after pizza, which is <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> So beer, cheese, and pizza. <laughs> right. Forget it. They yeah. have gone over the top. Right. Um, but no, nah, seriously, um, it you know it, it comes back to you know we've we've been harping at, on it in the cyber world um, for years about some basic blocking and tackling and best practices, uh, you know, to help protect yourself against there's no silver bullets but there are so many basic things that you know maybe some cost a little bit to implement say multi-factor authentication isn't always a a freebie but it's it's a great return on investment and that's you know kind of one of those if for listeners who like yeah that's on the list you probably need to elevate that um yeah i kind of Oh, the other thing with the colonial pipe uh, on the compromised password, it was a dormant account on a VPN. So our listeners have heard, most of them have probably heard of, you know, VPNs and have used VPNs in the COVID era. Um, so I just kind of want to go back and just say, you know, a little word of advice or recommendation is you, you need to periodically be reviewing your uh, you know, your accounts um, and access accounts and make sure that any dormant ones are either disabled or hopefully more more deleted um, than just disabled and look at your activity logs. And so just trying to offer not just conversation, but some advice on something, what to do, a little actionable, little, little actionable information here on the risk roundtable. Hey, Jen, let, let me ask a question. I mean, this, this is not I mean, you said it. I mean, this is not new. I mean, ransomware has been back to 2017. It really like last year took off 2019 and 2020 was like really bad years too. Why is this still a problem? I mean, what I mean, what what is what is getting people? I mean, are the tactics changing? It seems like it should they're pretty much the same type of thing. They're they are doing different ex exploits on the back end, that double extortion and all this other stuff, but like the same, they still have to get in the same way, right? Or is there something different? 
no there's there's nothing different uh it's just some of it's they want notoriety some of it obviously they're they're making a really making a killing in you know extortion payments uh um <laughs> lost my train of thought. Uh, insurance, cyber insurance is, you know, there are concerns that cyber insurance, at least for this time being, their willingness to pay the ransoms has kind of, um, you know, elevated it a little bit. Uh, there are some groups that are only going after organizations that they can determine, you know, have had have cyber insurance and are more likely to pay. Um, things of that nature. Um, hence, maybe some of the like uh, municipalities and stuff like that. Um, but it, I think on the other flip side of that, it still comes back to organizations going, yeah, it's not going to happen to me. And that whole denial, I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of facets, but I think that's it's another huge one. Oh, it'll never happen to us. It'll never happen to us. Despite, you know, the cybersecurity community saying, presume it already has, or assume it already has. Yeah, so can I say on that? I think I mean, you know, David, I think you've written about this and you can find it online from any number of places, but ransomware in one form or another has been around for a very long time, right? Going back to 1989. That's right. So it's not necessarily a new threat. And then like you alluded to, David, not necessarily really, really new tactics. I mean, always changing, but not really new. But Jen to a really important point with cyber insurance, I think we should come back to that. But you know, I get frustrated because it's not necessarily 100% preventable, right? I mean, any, anything can happen to anyone. So, so that you have to accept that there's a potential that incident occur to any organization, but our ability to respond, I think has, the seesaw has tipped too far to, we've got insurance, we're gonna let insurance pay versus we're gonna have a effective response and be able to not pay and respond appropriately in a reasonable amount of time, take a little hit, maybe, maybe we're down for a day, maybe two days, but find a way to continue operations. and. The inability to invest in, in an effective response, an effective preparedness, and deferring to insurance has just made it a very lucrative field, right? If people weren't paying the ransom, ransomware would not be as prolific as it is today. And certainly wouldn't be asking for $20 million, $40 million you know, payoffs. They're not always getting that, but they're asking for those crazy amounts, right? Because people do not have the ability to pause, start back up in a reasonable manner, and continue operations. And that's a serious issue. And to be honest, the Guidance that came out last week, and then we'll probably something up on the blog here this week um, from the White House was simple and clear and pretty darn good, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was just sort of some basic blocking and tackling to organizations at a TLP white level saying, hey, look, you, you're, you're a stakeholder and you've got to take care of yourselves and do some basic things to reduce the risk and effectively be able to respond. And right now, I think we're seeing an incident after incident is people aren't effectively able to respond. And it is just making it such a tempting attack uh, approach and so lucrative that it's, it's really getting that high level attention. So now we've got, after numerous you know, efforts by the government, we've got the, the director of the FBI talking about you know, ransomware is like a 9-11. And, and that's kind of scary language, right? Because when, when we get excited and, and the government feels a need to react and do something, Sometimes we, we don't stop and make sure we're really doing things the best way. And so for me, it's a little concerning to see where we are and some of the rhetoric being used today. Not anybody's trying to do anything wrong. It's just a, a, a difficult time to really be effective for some of our, our leaders. And that could really be a problem. Yeah, they're calling it, some, you know, are calling it in the headlines, you know, and, and maybe some of the wording as well, national, and not, ransomware has become a national security threat. 
Um, you know, obviously it's a threat to critical infrastructure. It's a, it's a threat to non-critical infrastructure entities as well. Um, but yeah, we go back to the cyber insurance and you, know, you said some of them aren't getting 40,000 or 40 million, except for, well, unfortunately we had a major insurance, cyber insurance provider that did get hit and ended up paying 40 million, uh, purportedly paying $40 million. So that's like, <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I, yeah, I just facepalm and, and it's just like, yeah, you know, they're going after the major and, you know, and they're not the only insurer. We had one insurer that said, we're not paying anymore. And then cyber actors turned around and I believe DDoS them. So did not distribute denial of service. So they got a different type of cyber attack because they said they weren't going to. And then a few short days later, the other insurer, one of the other insurers that had gotten hit um, said or ended up paying 40 million. So it's, it's tough. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a challenge. We could probably go in a whole good discussion on insurance and how that helps. We we've just like with active shooter, we've been forced to be able to do a lot of workshops on this topic over the last couple of years, had some fantastic discussions, a lot of organizations that are really trying to get their heads wrapped around this and, and organize some of those key decisions, right? Do we pay a ransom? Who can authorize a ransom payment? Do we know how to make a ransomware payment? When do we not make a payment? talk insurance and response plans how do we get back up from backups are we properly protecting ourselves there's a lot of things that go into thinking through this but it's not overly complicated it's just being deliberate about the approach so um what i'll try and do is i referenced the, the white house member we'll try and get that posted along with this blog but with the blog post accompanies this podcast so folks have access to that um because there's a whole lot of things we could discuss we'll include some other links on ransomware there's a lot that we can include and i just say if anybody listening has any questions please reach out to our team. We'll be happy to point you in the right direction to get whatever resources you need or the references, whatever it might be. Because again, the, you know, the term FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, that creeps into everything we talk about once it sort of escalates out of the, the universe in which it originates into sort of that mass media conversation, right? And so once it's showing up on your you know, Tuesday evening uh, drama TV show, it started to take a different level of attention. And so uh, ransomware is a real threat. It's a real concern. But there are things we can do to draw down risk and effectively respond. We'll try and point you in the right direction if you've got any questions or concerns. I don't want to cut you off anyway, Jen. Anything you want to add or Dave, anything else you want to add? I just wanted to say that um, you said there's a lot of intentional things. It doesn't have to be big and scary. I know, you know, some organizations think right away, you know what, I would never pay. And that's great. And that's that's the advice. And that's what we want to hear. And that's what we want to see. And that's what ultimately needs to happen. But when you're faced with that situation, sometimes that decision isn't as easy as that. Um, and but the bottom line there is uh, just if you don't have the staff, the resources in house, please, please, please do not go at it alone because there can be serious ramifications if you decide you're going to reach out to the actors and you're going to pay because because that's the only way you're going to get your keys maybe or you think you're going to stop them from leaking their data, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but you just think that the only thing you can do is pay when you're in the heat of the moment. Do not go out alone because there can be serious, serious ramifications um, from the government and, and for uh, potentially funding, knowingly funding terrorist activities and um, yeah. anti-money laundering thing uh, regulations. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll include some of those links as well. It's a really good point, Jen. So absolutely, we'll, we'll include some of those references um, with the show notes and the accompanying blog post as well. Great point. Dave, anything you want to add from your end? Yeah, I, I mean, I echo Jen's thoughts. I mean, you definitely don't want to go in alone. And again, if you think you're going to 
get away with, okay, I'll make a payment and therefore my, all my troubles will be gone. Um, that may make financial sense for you up front. But again, like she was alluding to, there's double extortion. They, you know, they don't just, you know, give you the decryption t- keys or whatever. They, they, there's, you know, they'll steal your data first. And then after they decrypt your, de- your system so you can do it, they'll say, oh, by the way, I'm going to publicly release all this data if you don't pay us again. So that double extortion is a very real thing. I, I just, I mean, I know it sounds too simplistic and it's not because there's a lot of organizational as well as individual issues here. But you really, I mean, you got to adhere to those good sounds principles of, you know, don't click on links, don't open up attachments, recognizing that suspicious emails that come in, because those tactics haven't really, I mean, yes, they get getting more and more complicated, and they're getting fancier and fancier, but you got to remain true and ask those questions. Is my bank really going to ask me to click on this link? I can tell you most banks do, don't do that anymore. Um, so, but again, you know, just, just, you know, don't go in it alone. If you get hit with it, make sure you're, you're reaching out and talking to people. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll say if, if you're looking to hear more about it, um, my, my get keen interview in September with Jeremy Kenley with Mandiant was a really good discussion on this threat. We should talked about ransomware for about an hour. The show notes there have a lot of additional links and resources back to CISA's best practices and guidance, as well as some of the other uh, good references you can go back and check out for best practices and other things, but it's a good discussion about an hour long, doing a little bit of a deeper dive in ransomware, what it is, how they attack, things you can do, drawing down risk and effectively responding. So great topic, two huge topics, really. I mean, the hostile events and ransomware are probably two persistent, enduring topics we'll be talking about many more times to come in the months ahead. But why don't we go ahead and take our first pivot in the show, and I think it's onwards to the roulette round. Sounds about clearly right. Dave was not prepared. <laughs> it's all right, Dave. It's all right. But roulette round nonetheless, with or without your lovable music. So I, th- I think Dave's jamming on mute over there on his own. So, so Dave, that could why, be. Why don't we why don't we come over to you? Uh, or actually, Jen, why don't you start us off with the roulette round? Anything you want to cover in, in, a, in a couple of minutes here? Honestly, mine's more or less uh, kind of another public service announcement, if you will. Um, kind of an, I don't know, it's off topic, but it's still relevant and it's relevant to privacy. But tomorrow, um, our lovely um, Amazon decides to do the neighborly thing and they're enabling what they're calling Amazon Sidewalk. And it's for Echo and Ring devices. You need to kind of check that out and see if you qualify or check your Echo or your Ring apps and see if they have, you know, Amazon Sidewalk, I think is on there because I just checked one of mine and it was like, oh, there it is, even though I don't have a device that it that uh, anyway, but they're enabling it by default and they're allowing uh, low, low frequency connections uh, for devices. Let's say your pet gets lost and they're wearing one of those low frequency RFID tags or Bluetooth, it's Bluetooth, not RFID. Sorry about that. And, uh, you know, you could essentially find your cat three doors down, even though they're not on your network anymore. If it's it, a whole host of things, but it, re- it revolves around privacy and trying to connect people's neighborhoods. Um, so it just, it's crazy. And I'm flubbing this up, but um, you have to opt out because they enable it by default. So you do have to opt out of the service, but it's a, it's a privacy concern. So if privacy is a concern for you, uh, make sure that you opt out of that but before tomorrow, because tomorrow it goes live. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good point to make there, Jen. I appreciate sharing that. And there's a couple of good posts about this from a number of different organizations. We'll include at least one of those in the notes as well, just to further explain uh, what this is and some of the concerns around the sort of uh, need to opt out, which isn't maybe the ideal way to address privacy issues. So, um, yeah, good, good point. Good, good point to bring up. Thank you for that. Again, we'll include something with the post here to talk a little bit more about that. Dave, over to you. Any, anything you want to scare us with? First of all, I thought even though I was on mute, um, I my uh, my music would play. So here, just for everyone, because I this is a catchy song. Yes, I'm ready. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Please? It was fun watching you dance. Yeah, I mean, I, I do that in my head all the time, Andy. I'm dancing <laughs> in my head all the time. Um, no, I will just say I'll use this as. If I'm going to steal from Jen, I'll use this as a PSA. Uh, obviously, this is July or June 7th. Uh, we're recording this on June 7th, and it'll be published tomorrow, June 8th. But uh, we're a month ahead, but we won't have another risk roundtable before then. Um, Fourth of July weekend, we're starting to get outdoors um, in a lot greater emphasis. And, and for all the right reasons, if you're vaccinated, obviously, go out and have a lot of fun do the things you, you need to be doing as we get back to normal, or if not, please wear a mask, all those safety areas in place. That said, we also recognize that uh, outdoor events and festiv uh, festivals before uh, COVID, they were targets for opportunities for hostile events. And, and so I just be mindful as we welcome the change to be outside and be mindful as we embrace that opportunity to be sharing rides and and being outside with everybody, um, that those are also opportunities uh, for threat actors to identify mass gatherings and opportunities for their types of acts. So I would just, public safety announcement that as you're planning for these events, please take security into, uh, you know, the appropriate security precautions. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. I think people are turned back to socializing and being out um, to go and sort of think through not only organizationally, but individually, you know, to put our, put our, our, our heads back on that swivel, right? Start looking around, knowing where exits are, paying attention to those around us, you know, just taking care of our families, taking care of our friends, things like that. I'll do a quick plug for our friend James DeMeo's book, What's Your Plan? I'll hold that here for, for my two colleagues. You know, it's, it's a great quick reference that folks can check out. I'll include a link for that as well. Just sort of thinking about what am I doing when I go out? Am I thinking a few things thoroughly for myself and my family and my friends or whoever I'm with? Great reference. I really need to think about that as we go back to those large gatherings, whether you're going to the, the ballpark or you're going out, you know, in a group event or you're going back to your, your church or synagogue, wherever you might be. There's definitely a lot to start putting our brains back in tune for in this uh, post, hopefully soon pandemic environment. So two really good PSAs there, guys. Very, very thoughtful of you, of you both. So Nice. All, uh, great minds. Great minds. <laughs> great minds. Um, so, okay, great. So we've got that. So we're going to change one more time from Quick Hits. Last month, we introduced a little game I called Three Questions. I carried that into my interview with Brian, where he correctly identified the theoretical winner of a match between Thor and Yoda. And so here we are again. Remember, no thinking, just answering. We'll keep it with Dave first to give Jen that extra three seconds to think because I know you have to think to some level. And so here we go, continuing with our summer theme. You guys ready? I'm ready. All right, All right be ready, be ready. First one, sparkling water, refreshing or just a poor man's soda? 
just a poor man's soda. Poor man's soda. Disgusting. Yeah. As I hold my <laughs> sparkling water in hand, the correct answer is refreshing, just like those clever Michael Buble commercials, which make them even better. So, guys, a bad start, but that's okay. True or false? Watermelon is the greatest fruit of summer. Dave? Oh, I, I oh, greatest is a tough one. I mean, it, it's no thinking. Okay. I'll, I'll go true. 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 Jen? True. You're both right. I would accepted mango, which is on par. But watermelon is pretty much as good on a hot day as anything this side of heaven. So. Okay, mango's good. I I like mango a lot. I mean, but is it a like? It's not as refreshing as watermelon. It's not. It's, not. So that's, it's, that's, it, it's got a syrupy type effect, which I love it. It's delicious. But cold watermelon, hot summer day, that's like that's it. That's that's perfect. I once finished a bike ride, sat on my deck, and crushed an entire watermelon yeah. just trying to replenish myself. I looked disgusting. It was a mess, and it was. Like the greatest 10 minutes of my life as I swallowed that thing whole. So salt yeah. or no salt on the watermelon. I go either way, but typically no salt's on the patients for it. Yeah, I don't think so. Salt. That was a grandma thing, but that just made me think of that. <laughs> All right, last one. Last one for today. Important question here. Can men's shorts be too short in the summer? Dave? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going, look, I remember when I was, again, I'll go back to my elementary days or some of my, my ocean Pacific shorts. And, and they were, you know, if you want to get a glimpse, go back to Larry Bird playing basketball in the, yes. uh, in the mid eighties. So I'll go back to those shorts. They were too short. I enjoy just above the, the kneecap and that's a good length for me. All right. Okay. Good answer, Jen. I can't speak for y'all's how you feel about short shorts from the physical perspective, but uh, yeah, they can be too short. <laughs> Knee length well, is good. <laughs> I want to go out of my own here again and you know, say, if, if you saw me running around beautiful Leesburg, Virginia this weekend, I was a sweaty mess. And I apologize to any patrons in our downtown dining area as I ran by, because I basically looked like I was running in a pair of Speedos. So my answer is no. Shorts cannot be too short in the summer, but we have a little bit of a disagreement this time around. We'll see where things go. We continue the summer next time. So, all right, guys, before we wrap up here, we're doing good. Anything you want to send us out with? Dave, we'll come over to you. Anything you want to start us off with? Do you really want to get into this or not? I, I, I think we have to, because we are clearly okay. at odds. You're we're, on we're, your own. Uh, okay, so we're <laughs> Jen's going to have to remove herself from the conversation. She may come in there as the end, but okay. If you won't, if you remember last time, I I had a little rant at the end about uh, the Amazon. I don't know if you call it a movie show, garbage, whatever you whatever whatever you call it. They, they call it a movie, but it was garbage. Um, Without remorse, which is based on a Tom Clancy novel. I think it's part of their. Tom Clancy extended universe type of thing, but I, I'm just in the, and if you are not familiar, you know, the book is, or the, the book that I is my favorite uh, is based on the character, John Clark. And this is one of the best characters, if not the, the very best uh, within the Clancy universe. And, and so before, you know, extended universes were cool. And so this is not against, Michael B. Jordan, who I think is a terrific actor and who's played some of my favorite roles, the Black Panther, Apollo Creed's son, you know, I, I think these are all great roles. And amongst all the other fine 
um, movies that he's been in. But there's two things fundamentally wrong with this is one, you just can't update this. The story just can't be updated to, you know, modern times and say, oh, I'm going to do this, this Russian angle on it now. That's not what the book was about. It didn't work for, by the way, it didn't work for the remake of um, Red Dawn when they tried to throw in the North Koreans there and, and, th and throw in Thor. That didn't work, okay? That was garbage of a movie because they tried to update it to modern times. Just you gotta you gotta leave it alone. So one, they tried to force a storyline in that just didn't need to be updated. Just go back in time, hold it when the original part was going on. And again, back to the John Clark part, he was originally played by William Defoe in Clear and Present Danger. He Levy Shriver did another role for him later. I, I didn't necessarily love William Defoe, but he fit the, the role of John Clark. He wasn't a strong muscle man like Michael B. Jordan. I didn't need him to rip his shirt off to show me his muscles while he's in jail, which, by the way, he was never in jail, beating up prison guards and all this other stuff. They're make, trying to make this movie into something about showcasing my, how strong and bad, how how big of a, I, I don't want to swear here, but how 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 big of a tough guy Michael B. Jordan is. We know he's a tough guy. He fought Drago's son. He beat you, him, you, you, know? you want to say badass. He, he okay, badass. okay, he's there we go. He, he's a, he was a badass. I mean, and so we don't need him to do all that stuff. And, and so, you know, we we don't need John Clark or or whoever plays John Clark to light a car on fire, hop into that car and try to interrogate a guy while the car is burning on fire. Oh, by the way, right outside of Dulles airport, this, that's not real. What we need out of John Clark is for him to be surveilling you for two weeks, then looking and smelling like a homeless person in an alley and then systematically taking down a network one by one while ensuring those who he killed knew exactly in their last minutes alive that John Clark was the one who killed him. Oh, by the way, because they killed his girlfriend or his, you know, and so that's what we need. In fact, I would say instead of going Michael B. Jordan, we should have gone to what I think would be a great um, John Clark, and that's John Wick himself, Keaton John, you know, Keanu Reeves. I mean, this is who I envision John Clark being. This movie that they gave us. So, so I, 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 I've, I've I, got a break. I've got, I know this is emotional for you, but I think we're, we're going on wow. a lot about ransomware here. I've got to just put a pause, bring it back down for you. So I think we're suffering here. I think you're suffering from, from book bias, right? You went in with a certain set of expectations, certain love for, for the book and the character, and this didn't, this didn't live up to your expectations. But I got to tell you, as a guy that doesn't read Tom Clancy, because to be honest, I never cared for Tom Clancy personally, right? I wanted this movie because I thought, man, my teenage sons are going to really like this. So we sat down, we watched it. And one, it takes place, like half the movie takes place in my backyard, right? From Loudoun County's prison suits to Dallas Airport. So I love that aspect of it. Two, Michael B. Jordan is a badass and he did an awesome <laughs> job in this movie and him ripping his shirt off and beating uh, security guards up and police officers up just reminds you whether he's the human torch or, or Apollo Creed's son or Killmonger. He's awesome. Whatever role he takes on the guy's just an, he's an awesome, fun actor to watch three Russia being the bad guy. Yeah. They're the bad guy. That was great. That was a great plot twist. So we, we sat down, we were looking for, you know, action, shooting, violence, something fun. There was good, you know, government intrigue. I mean, there was all sorts of good stuff going on. 
we thought it was a great movie for exactly what it was supposed to be, you know, two hours of mindless entertainment. I'm sorry to live up to your expectations, but Hey, I I am all about violence and I am all about like action, shoot them up stuff. I just want it to be real. This is just not, this wasn't it. Well, maybe maybe I'll try again for you. I'm sorry for the stress, but I I liked it. Despite this, poor reviews and Dave's equally poor review. You're also wearing a Lions t-shirt right now. I just want to point that out. (laughs) I am. I am. I am. So, all right, Jen, anything on your end you want to share that's maybe less emotionally um, traumatic for you as Dave's review? No, that actually his review was very traumatic to me. (laughs) 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 Uh, No, I'm I'm nothing. I can't top that even if I tried. I don't think anybody could top those three minutes of Dave's Dave's response. There's a movie critic position out there waiting for you somewhere, Dave. I, I, was, I thought you. I, I had written notes, Andy. I thought you. Roger Ebert has nothing on you. Nothing. Nothing. It was dramatic. But hey, I think that was a good discussion. A lot of important topics, including our movie review, we touched on. We'll include some notes in the show notes here, so you can go back and reference more, take a deeper dive if you really want to. Please reach out if you have any questions. We'd be happy to point in the direction or help you out any way that we can. But I think that's our risk roundtable for June. So I'm excited to hear your upcoming podcast, Tribal Isaac, the Nerd Out, wherever these things go. And I hope that those listening will also subscribe and check them out as well. Please listen, subscribe, cheer us on, complain, tell Dave what you think about him as I often do. You can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or you can email us at podcast at gate15.global with any suggestions, concerns, whatever you like. Until next time, thanks for listening. Have a great day.